Hello, everyone around the world, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, my moms and dads and families. I typically don't start it like this, but I'm in a good mood today. This is The Gun Show. I have a very special guest with me today. His name is Arthur Field, and he is the manufacturing technology specialist in the greater Vancouver area. Author, thank you so much for being a part of the gun show. Appreciate you being here today. Thanks, Tony. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here with you. Uh, like we were just had our chat before this, it, I've been following you since Air Turbine and just how charismatic and how you are so dedicated to spreading manufacturing into the vision and like the listening of people that don't normally get exposed to it. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. <laughs> well, flattery will get you everywhere. You've heard that rumor before, right? Yeah. If we say that loud time. enough, people will start believing it. And, uh, and, and I like that idea. So author, man, you seem like I haven't known you that long, but I have known you for a little while. And every time, you know, I want to, I want to learn a little bit more. And I was, uh, chatting with you not too long ago recently and uh, we were talking about how you got into the world of manufacturing engineering all the crazy misfits were surrounded by and you mentioned video games so author share with us a little bit about your story and your journey oh yeah uh, so we were talking about video games because I actually started my love for manufacturing back when I was in an arcade as an arcade supervisor. And what happened is, is I started seeing that games were being put out of order when they were really easy fixes. And so I wrote down a step-by-step -step procedure. Now, now I know that's called a standard operating procedure. At the time, I was just like, look, here's your troubleshooting guideline. We don't need to put the machine out of order. We can let people play these games. And I just broke it down. Okay, if it's this, you do this. And just all the different situations a game might be found in and how we were going to fix it. And we went from a lot of the arcade being down to, you know, one to 2% of the games that were down in any given week out of 100 machines. So it changed that. And I had my struggles there because here I am, you know, I'm 17, 18 in my first leadership role. It's one of my first jobs and I didn't really like people at the time, to be completely <laughs> honest. <laughs> so I was talking to uh, my dad and one of his friends about it. And his friend was actually a quality inspector in a local machine shop that did uh, big auto parts. So he's like, look, come in. He's like, your analytical mind is going to do wonders in manufacturing for your career. So come on by have an inspection uh, analysis, like a, an interview with our HR. I did the interview with HR. Then they take me to the quality inspection lab. They had height gauges and CMMs and micrometers and all that. And part of the interview is you've got to measure something with a micrometer and measure something with a height gauge. So I'm very, uh, I'm very to the point when it comes to measurements. And the inspector said, okay, Arthur, measure this. And he measures it. He's like, this is how you use a mic. I'd done metal shop back in grade nine. So I knew how to use a mic, thankfully. And he measures it. And he's like, okay, you should get this size. And I measured it. I'm like, that's not the size I'm getting. And he's like, what? And I'm like, here, measure it again. And so I corrected my interviewer in the quality assurance lab. 
And they hired me on the spot. I started the next day. Thanks to that. Um, inside, I was freaking out <laughs> because I've got to correct the person interviewing me. And oh my God, am I going to get like kicked out of here because I'm arguing with quality assurance on my first day on the job? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And, and did you? No. Yeah. I started the next day. It, so I was just, you know, your heart starts going. You're like, oh my God, confrontation. And then I spoke up and I did the height gauge test. We both got the same measurement there. I started the next day. Um, and then I got onto the shop floor and on the shop floor, uh, the, uh, they had it set it up. So they had lead hands and then they had uh, supervisors below the lead hands and they had management above the lead hands. So typically what would happen is the first level supervisor would train you and they started training me and they trained me on, I had a dual spindle Hawachi on that I was running turbine parts on, right? Op one, one side with castings, op two, finishing the parts on the other side. You had to hold two tents on a bearing tolerance and you were good to go. So he trained me on that. And within the week, he was like, okay, well, you're good to go. You can run with this. And then I started running with this and he's actually you picked up that training faster than anyone I've seen. I was comfortable after the first day. He's like, so we've got a new hire coming in. I'd like you to train him on this machine. One weekend. Yeah. So it was at the end of the first week, he said that. And so two weeks in, I was training at the end of my two weeks. So the start of the third week, I was training someone already on the That's machine. That's impressive, man. That's impressive. <laughs> what? It blew my mind. I was like, what do you mean? I can train this person? Like, are you guys sure I'm going to crash it? You're going to get mad at me. <laughs> and what did they uh, say to that? Because I've definitely crashed a couple in my day. Uh, when I, when, even, even after I was just learning, I've missed a decimal point or put it in the wrong spot or something. Did that ever happen? At that shop, actually, thankfully, the, the weirdest thing that ever happened there is we were doing castings, as I mentioned, and we had one batch of castings where I had it on op one in some jaws and I flipped it over and threw it on a mandrel, an ID clamping mandrel. And we went to spin the next side and the casting exploded. Like it turned into this giant mushroom shape. There must've been gases or something trapped in it. No one could really figure out why they had never seen it before, but that's the closest I came to crashing there, thankfully. Cause I ended up, uh, they had 101 CNCs and I ended up training people on 40 of them. That's incredible. So just one small explosion that was that was unknown for unknown causes, unknown reasons. Uh, yeah, a hundred plus machines. What a great shop. Yeah, it was a massive shop. Uh, I've heard that they've shut down since then. Um, when Big Auto took a dive back in 2008, they never really recovered from that. Um, they lost a lot of it to offshore, unfortunately. I'm sorry to hear that, man. Um, so back to the training after two weeks of being there. How did that go? Uh, that was honestly really awesome because the supervisors could come by for, you know, one to three hours, show me the new control because it wasn't all the same machine control. Like we had Heidenheim and we had Fanuc and we had all different kinds of, uh, Siemens was in there, Mazatrol, all the different controllers you can come across and they would just bring me on and they're like, okay, this is how you do it. And I'd be like, yep. Okay, good. And then I would train someone on what they trained me on like that one day-ish. I would train someone for three to four weeks and just hang out. So I got to meet all kinds of new people entering manufacturing or transferring into our shop because they were new hires. 
And so it was a great way to meet new people. And uh, funny enough, a way to work on my people skills that I had run away from leadership because of. <laughs> I'm happy you brought that up because when you were talking about uh, first being hired by this company and kind of telling the, the guys, hey, you're wrong already. I was going to go, well, you don't like people anyway. So that was kind of probably easy for you, right? <laughs> well, it, it's not that I didn't like people. I was just frustrated because uh, I've spent a lot of time even now still, you know, I'm 38 and I'm still working to be more with people as they are as human beings instead of always trying to be right. My analytical mindset used to get me in these holes of I need to be absolutely right. I don't care about the other human being I'm talking with. I need to be right, right here, right now. And I've been able to let go of that and work with people instead of just like nailing them with I'm right. Uh, valuable. That's called wisdom. Um, <laughs> I, I'm probably similar to that when I was younger as, as well. Uh, now I can honestly say I know enough to know that I don't know much at all. Exactly. Right. Like they say that's the, um, the, the master has failed more times than the apprentice has even tried. <laughs> yeah, in, in, in our industry, uh, and I have this discussion a lot with a lot of folks, um, failure is key. And we don't like to fail because that means oftentimes money is lost. You know, whether it's a broken end mill or a jacked up vice or, you know, even worse in the machine itself or robotics or, you know, however far we want to take it, uh, it often comes with some sort of sacrifice, right? However, there's no better teacher. We have to push things until we learn something new. Otherwise, we're staying stagnant. No, exactly. There is no better teacher than failure, Tony. And that's, that's one of the things that people tend to shy away from, new materials, new operations, and they take it easy. Or, you know, when they're quoting the jobs, they tend to go easy on it. And it's like, okay, well, you're not going to win the work. Like there's shops out there willing to risk it. And if you're not willing to push the boundaries and get uncomfortable and accept you may fail, then you're going to lose out on a ton of work. And you're not going to understand why you can't get any jobs in the door. And you're just going to be in this cycle till the shop shuts down. Like I, it's unfortunate that I've had to see so many shops shut down in the last five years working as a distributor at a distributorship, right? Like, and, and what's your area? Uh, obviously, that's a somewhat sensitive subject. You guys can't see Arthur right now, but I, we're on video, uh, just taking in the audio, and I can see his face. It, it, you know, it's a sensitive subject to see the locals and the people around, you know, having to shut down, I would imagine. Um, I, I mean, I can see it in your face. So, you know, what's that like in your area? It, it's not prevalent. It's not a crazy amount, thankfully. But a lot of the time, it's the guys who start up because they're extremely strong machinists. They have a lot of technical skill. They were always at the top in the machine shops they worked in. So they start out on their own in their own shops. And suddenly they get gun shy, whatever it is, and they get afraid of failure. They're afraid to invest in technology. They start buying the cheapest tools they can find, you know, the cheapest work holding, everything they can be for the lowest price. And it ended up costing them their business. And so it's just kind of heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. What, so what exactly is your territory as a distributor? And you said the last five years, right? Because yeah, you, you have some pretty exceptional experience, CNC machinist, machinist, operator, senior CSR. 
journeyman machinist you know i'm reading over your resume right now you know yeah and now you know territory manager you have some great skills so you've been doing this for five years now it sounds like you found a home and you have the technical ability to support others in your area so what's your area so the area i service is in the lower mainland of british columbia um the distributor i work for covers all of western canada and transitioning from a machinist to a distributorship what do you think has brought you the most valuable lessons going from one to the other because you mentioned at the beginning of this you're not at least originally not really a people person but you kind of got to be when you get into the distributorship aspect of things right you're dealing with people every day and to be fair um you know i was just talking with my buddy don grant and he's like you know I don't like everyone in the industry, but I can honestly say that all my friends that I have that are close to me right now are in the industry, meaning there's some really good people here. So I would imagine some of your perspectives of, like you mentioned, having to be right and the analytical mind have now a little bit transitioned to perhaps we can learn something and through through the process of engineering and then going into a sales-ish role, I'd imagine that's changed a lot. Yeah, it was something I discovered through my journey. So after that first shop I started it in, um, I went and did some big turning on some BBMs and just heavy, heavy cuts. But then I ended up stepping out of that because I ran a vertical boring mill and it was boring. I would read like 400 pages a day because I'd have four to six hour long passes on these machines, right? Um, and so I started looking around to see what else was possible in manufacturing because this wasn't cutting it. And I ended up working um, for a company and within six months, I was running the afternoon shift. And after a while I was running the shop and I had at one time, you know, 14 people below me, five of them were journeymen. I didn't have a ticket at this point, but what I discovered in there is a lot of the, I'm not a people person was a story I was telling myself. Nobody else had any idea. I didn't think I was a people person. <laughs> And so going from the distributorship, I take a lot from my experience there uh, because I found there's areas where I could apply my skills to the manufacturing process. And that was developing standard operating procedures, you know, bringing the scientific and artistic method to testing on machining. So, you know, where I'm pushing boundaries, but I'm also doing one variable at a time to make sure I'm just pushing one thing at a time so I can measure the success rate. And then, then leading the shop floor and everything that was around that really helped grow my people skills. I did a lot of conflict resolution training, a lot of leadership and growth development with this company. They were very pro training. Um, so it was a fantastic time in my career to really develop myself as a leader in the industry. And so what I started finding was all these areas where, you know, I was the one that could put it in. So developing the procedures, training the hires, uh, tackling the newest jobs, you know, finding new ways to hold it or different ideas around that to reduce the setup time, to reduce the part handling, to reduce the cost of manufacturing. And so all of those areas, and then there was tooling and figuring out what was new and all of that. And I had a distributor that would come in and I worked with, I chose to work with one 
because I wanted to be able to have that one person in my network that I knew was always keeping up to date with all the newest tooling, all the newest work holding, you know, they have the experience of going into hundreds of shops and seeing what's actually working out there. And I started pulling on this rep for that because I realized, okay, yeah, I can do my day job all day and I can go home all night and I can sit on the computer and I can research new tools, but I would rather spend my day doing what I love in manufacturing, leave the finding options and solutions to the rep so that I could focus and actually have a personal life outside of work again. And so we created that partnership to alleviate my own work because I was getting so stressed out and just so burnt out. I'd go to work all day. I'd start early. I'd finish late. I'd come home. I'd eat. I'd research for the next project that I was doing. And it was just wearing me out. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people have walked in those similar shoes before. Um, we don't, we don't work eight hour days a lot of times, do we? <laughs> and then the research that's involved in order to get better or even just keep up is, you know, massive. Um, honestly, if we're going to give a shout out today, that's the great gift of reps and distributors is, you know, I've had, I've had the really wonderful fortune to travel the world for almost a decade now to over 50 countries. And I've seen a lot of things of how people get things done. Right. But if you're in a machine shop, which I was prior to the last 10 years that, you know, the 10, 15 years before that, I, only knew what was being brought to me by whoever was ordering our tools. And I didn't get to spend much time with any reps or distributors. I was the machinist and I didn't get to order. And I, what I was receiving was pretty much all I knew. Right. So what you're saying is very valuable. Why not utilize these guys, including yourself now for the skills of saying, okay, what else is out there? Teach me something. And I know some guys will even throw in a freebie from time to time and be like, hey, try this new end mill. This one's on me. I promise you it'll do better. You're going to want to buy it, but this one's on me kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, that's that shout out to distributors and reps uh, for for how we can utilize them to to our best benefit as a machine shop. Oh, definitely. And the, the freebies, like the way we word it is guaranteed trial offer. So we guarantee it's going to get whatever results we agree on. And if it doesn't, you don't pay for anything. A lot of the time you don't pay for the first tool anyway. You just agree that you're going to keep purchasing the tool because, I mean, why wouldn't you? If it worked and did everything you wanted it to, it would make sense to incorporate that in the process going forward. And just what you're sharing, you know, your experience in a machine shop uh, before you got into your role where you got to travel the world. It's, that's the experience for so many shops that I work with and they've got people up front, you know, the, the purchasers or the buyers and they mean well, right? Like I am not here to, uh, to crap on them. They are doing the best they can. They are looking at prices and the result of them always looking at price is one, they're always looking for a low price Two, they're not technical people. They're not always going to understand the difference between a high speed steel end mill and a carbide end mill and the benefits of different coatings and different options that come like all the, the details and the minutia that a machinist or a skilled tradesperson would know the, the purchasers and the buyers don't have that. And there is sometimes in companies still a huge disconnect there where the buyers are making the choice on what's actually coming in. So like you said, in your situation, Tony, you know, you just know what's coming in the shop. You don't even know there's other stuff out there. 
So unless you're someone that, you know, you work all day and then, you know, you're on LinkedIn and you're on Google looking up better manufacturing methods in your off hours, you're never going to realize that there's other solutions out there. And you could be pulling out your hair on the shop floor simply because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, uh, very valuable, very valuable. So at MTD, we do these things called technical corners. Um, and these technical corners allow a distributor like yourself or a rep uh, to say, okay, I have a few niche products. And what you just said, I don't know that I don't know. That's where it resonates, you know, because there are a ton of options out there that can really streamline processes, whether it be the Six Sigma version of lean manufacturing kind of style or just the machining process, or even you know applying a, a better coolant. Coolant to me is so under talked about and it's such a significant tool to longer tool life and better finishes and all of these things, even machine life in general, having the right coolant in there, right? So to not know is probably the most difficult part. So these technical corners, they say, okay, let's take this one product of yours and we'll do multiple videos, of course, but let's take this product of yours and go, here's how it works in layman's terms. And also here's the really technical aspect behind it. So then we can involve everyone who says, holy crap, I didn't know I could do that. And the other guy that goes, well, I knew it existed, but I didn't know how significant it could be to my business. Um, so we are 100% on board with what you're talking about and the, the emotional roller coaster that goes through to wanting to do better, but not knowing how to find that way to be better without masses of, massive amounts of self-time and research on LinkedIn and YouTube and Google and websites and all the other things that you named. Yeah. And that, that goes back one, the MTD stuff you guys are putting out that really calls to me. It's so awesome to have those introductions to different products and just to cover that. I love checking it out because there's stuff you guys talk about. I haven't heard about either. Right. So it's an opportunity for me to grow. Um, and just the way that you're introducing it and you're putting it on different platforms so that people that may not be exposed to manufacturing know, Hey, actually that looks really cool. I want to know more about a job that works with that. Like, I get to play with toys like that. Okay, sign me up. Um, but it also calls back to really finding a distributor you can trust to work with, to create as a partnership in your manufacturing journey. And manufacturers have great end products. You know, they have, they're meeting a need that the industry has, whether, you know, you're in medical or you're in mining or whatever, whatever industry you're in. There's something you're trying to bring to market. There's a solution you're trying to create. And that's, that's where your value's added is by focusing on those products and those procedures and everything that you have to do in your day to day. So, you know, checking out the MTD show or going to a distributor you can trust is going to free up and relieve so much of like the headaches that I know at least I used to get on the shop floor trying to solve problems. And I'm like, there's gotta be a solution out there. I have no idea what it is, but it's gotta be better than this. <laughs> well, I believe you've been doing this since almost about right around year 2000. Uh, you look like you're about 27 years old. So I find that quite impossible, but uh, around the year 2000, and obviously you have a ton of experience now. I mean, we're I mean, to me, when someone says 10 years ago, my head goes, oh, that was the 90s. But that's not how it works anymore. You know, that now, now we're in 2021, you know, involved, right? You know, we're considered the professionals now instead of the beginners. So 
in that 20 plus years that you've been doing this, uh, I would like for you to share with our global audience and you can make it entertaining, you can make it serious, you can make it uh, educational, whatever you want to take, but share your favorite story uh, with our global audience who may not know you yet of your 20 years. And that can come from sales, it can come from manufacturing, it can even come from your personal life and how it's helped you excel in your business life for advice you could offer. So totally up to you, but you've been doing this a long time now. And if you notice, this is a really long run on sentence because I'm giving you the time to think about the story you want to tell. So author, with that being said, let's see if I've given you enough time to, to think of your favorite story. Well, that was a fantastic run on sentence, Tony. I have to say that was just above and beyond the preparation you're allowing. And now I'm extending it. Um, <laughs> it was, I would have to say, I was working at uh, the shop where I was leading the shop floor and one of the new hires had come on and he was an older gentleman. He had, you know, a tool and die certificate, a machining certificate, welding, like he had several trades under his belt and he had this way of listening to me. And here I am, you know, I'm in my early twenties at this point and he's, getting up towards 60. He's a man of the world. He's traveled and worked in manufacturing all across the world in different shops. And it was really the way he had of being able to listen to me in such a way that I felt heard and the way that he had of explaining it back to me, how he was communicating with me. He's like, look, he's like, I know I need to say these things in this way. He's like, I need to build you up first before I offer an improvement. Because if I just go to criticize you, you're going to spiral off in an analytical loop. And he really broke down the human relations. This is thanks to, because on top of all the trades this man had, he actually had a master's in human resources of the funniest thing to throw in there. And he taught me how to work with management, how to work with the people I was supervising and to always, always have that beginner mindset. And he really just grounded me in it. Cause at that time, honestly, I was kind of spiraling, you know, I'm top of the machine shop. You know, I've got 12, 14 guys working under me. They're ticketed. Oh, I know better. I know better. All this inflated ego. And he really brought me back down to earth. And so if it wasn't for that chance meeting, and we're still friends to this day, um, but if it wasn't for that chance meeting where he happened to be in that area and start to work at the shop I was in, I don't know if I would have had the opportunity to really reground and reconnect um, with the human beings. And I might've had a completely different path where I just spiraled off into the numbers and the analysis and making everybody wrong. And so that's my favorite memory is thinking back to getting to know him and everything that he shared with me um, from his years of wisdom. And it was just so humbling because he was also willing to learn from me. So it was just crazy for me. It was just one of those transformational experiences where you meet that person and they just have a different way about them. There is a real value in feeling heard isn't there when it comes to you know we we all 
want to convey a message, but we don't always feel like we're being heard. So when someone offers that piece of themselves to us, to where we find that value and they find that value in us, that can really change, um, in your case, maybe in a life path, you know, and, and that is something I would love to be able to do more often for people. And I hope that we do it for one another as regularly as we aren't running around the streets late for everything, drinking coffee. You know, I hope we slow down sometimes and, and, and listen to one another because there is great value in that. So that's a wonderful story to share, Arthur. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. It, it changed my path in all of it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy just thinking back because I haven't really thought about that moment until you asked, Tony. So I appreciate that because as I'm racking my memory and thinking about all these things, I'm like, actually, you know what? That's, that's one that's popping out right now. And uh, it's nice to relive it and telling it to you and sharing it with the world. Yeah, it's a good one. And, and we appreciate it as well. So I'd like to talk a little bit, if you'd like to talk about it, uh, a little bit more about Thomas Skinner and Son, uh, what you guys do, how you can support your customers, and the areas um, where you do support customers. Definitely. So for those of you listening that aren't familiar, Thomas Skinner and Son covers, they cover the western half of Canada. And so western Canada is usually what we say, but we carry uh, two machine tool manufacturers, Haas and um, Akuma. And we also carry some of the top brands in industry when it comes to the manufacturing tools. And then we also do tool room management. The, the whole goal and the reason I started working for them and I'm still with them, this is my longest uh, stint at any one employer now. I typically last about four years. I've been here five and a half now with them. And the whole reason is, is it's all about the customer experience and really becoming that partner with our customers distributors don't exist if they have no one to support and it's bringing that value whether it's the machine tools or anything else and just the honesty that we bring as an entity because i don't have anyone i work with right now who is afraid to say i don't know or i don't have the best solution because no one person is always going to have the best of everything and there is times where we have referred them to competitors because we're you know, like, you know what? It doesn't happen very often, but you have such a niched product that we really don't have the best solution in that area. Or, you know, this is what we have to offer and this is what it can do. And just the honesty there, before I got into sales, <laughs> I was always worried that, you know, sales was just going to be all this high pressure antics and manipulation and control and it's there's so much more humanity in sales, at least in the manufacturing side that I'm involved in and supporting people just honestly being real and saying, Hey, yes, yes, we have a solution. Uh, I'm not sure. Let me look into that. And then we pull on our network of suppliers as well, which is a fantastic opportunity. That's been possible to work with that network of suppliers and to really get the right solution. And when we don't have an answer, we don't have an answer. So that's really where we focus is just the customer experience. Um, I kind of went on about the, when we don't have an answer, we say we don't have an answer for a while there. It's not often we don't have an answer, but it's, I just, I've had experiences in sales. We're like, oh yeah, this is going to do everything you want. And you try it and it blows up. They're like, oh, well, I actually didn't think it was going to, but I wanted you to try it. So. I, I, 
<laughs> I can guarantee if there's ever a situation where I'm not sure, I will let you know. And I will make sure that the supplier offers it as a guaranteed trial offer. So everybody's protected and we don't have to worry about spending money on it if it doesn't work. Well, you mentioned Haas and Akuma. Yes. But if I'm not mistaken, you do abrasives and bandsaw blades and bandsaw machines and cutting tools and coolants and, you know, tool holders and so on, work holding even, you know, so on and so forth. Um, yeah. You want to give a shout out to any of those guys? Uh, well, the, the, so yeah, we do all the cutting tools, all the work holding. Um, we've got Amada Bandsaw and Marvel, who was recently purchased by Amada, I believe. And uh, we work with all the abrasives. Uh, Kling Spore right now, honestly, hands down, if you guys are looking at abrasives. And then cutting tool-wise, Sandvik, if you go to my LinkedIn page, is the one that I represent the most in the distributorship, simply because the network, the way they work globally as an entity, uh, is just, from my experience, above and beyond. Like, I had... <laughs> their president reach out after I did a video. I've never had that happen before. The president of an, like a global organization like that reach out to thank me and you know offer support. It's just been an insane experience. And they are a company, they understand. They don't always have the best solution. Their representatives that I get to work with locally are ne have never told me, yes, we've got it and it's failed. If they give a solution, it works. Now, the cutting data may change because every machine has its own little quirks and work holding and everything else. But I've yet to have a solution that they've confidently said, yes, we got this, and it hasn't worked. Have they given me some, you know, maybes? Definitely. And, you know, they're hit or miss, but they're honest about it from the start because they know, okay, yeah, we believe we can do it versus, yeah, we know we got this. Yeah, certainly a solid company, and you're right. Um, solutions are, are fantastic, and, and having them as a partner with your distributorship, I imagine, has brought you more success than it has failures by a long shot. Yeah, yeah. And there's one more I, I would be uh, remiss not to mention would be uh, Mugi, because uh, their support has just been phenomenal, in, especially in, like, I've had a lot of, I don't know if you've had much familiarity with this material, but Nitronic 50 uh yeah <laughs> but not a ton just enough to break a few things yeah it's it's not a very forgiving material and <laughs> i've had a lot more of that and we've been doing smaller and smaller threads and just the support from amugi on threading the nitronic 50 when literally like i've got a customer they've gone through six others because they love to test to see what's working best and they've gone through six other manufacturers and nothing held up like the Amugi and just the support that they offered um, when no one else could come to bat has been phenomenal. God, what a great testimonial. Um, yeah, I'm familiar with Amugi as well. I didn't used to call them that. I thought it was like a, a mug or something like that. But then they're like, guy, 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 you're saying it all wrong. So I was grateful to learn that pretty quickly. So I didn't sound like an idiot all the time. Um, yeah. Oh. Yeah. But, but great tools. Yeah, it's just the for me as a distributor, again, I'm trying to learn all the different tools and solutions. So the reps that specialize in their tools and actually share what's working, 
those are the best ones to work with. I'm still creating that partnership. I'm working with the cust my end customers that I'm working with, but I'm also working with the suppliers because I need to know who I can trust to bring me solutions so I can confidently go to support local manufacturers and be like, yes, this is going to work. Here's what we can expect. If those parameters, you know, those results make sense to you, then let's do this. Well, it sounds like you're not always right anymore and you're willing to uh, work with the customer, which is awesome. Well done, Arthur. Uh, it's amazing what a few years in the industry will do. I was the most stubborn 16, 17 year old. It sounds like <laughs> sounds like we'd have been great friends or horrible enemies. I'm not sure, but but one of the two. Yeah, definitely one of the two. It would have been a very polarizing experience, I'm sure. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to end this on a couple of more questions. We've been talking a long time now. I really, truly appreciate your time and wisdom. Um, but I want to go back to the very beginning of this conversation uh, with video games, right? And, yeah. and I made the joke to you before. Uh, if you were the only one that could fix the arcades, how many times did you say, hey, guys, it just can't be fixed, and then you took it home, right? So... <laughs> My, my story to go along with that is I wasn't nearly as clever as you. I was a, uh, a pizza maker when I was in college for, for, it doesn't matter for who, but I was a pizza maker. And uh, I would, you know, accidentally make mistakes on pizzas regularly because it was how I ate going through college. It was either ramen noodles, mac and cheese, or a messed up pizza. So when you said, Oh, the arcades are broken immediately in my head. And maybe I'm a bad person for it, but immediately in my head, I was like, well, it can't be fixed. Then you take it home. Then you fix it, sell it for a thousand bucks and we're paying for college. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, I, I love the story about the pizza and the message. You got to find what works to get by. <laughs> you found truth? a solution. You found a solution. Um, I, our machines, funny enough, were typically like bolted down. I guess they had had staff before that had tried to take some home. Um, Very fair. Very fair. Yeah. yeah so, I applied there once a couple of years before you did. I don't, I yeah. don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> they must have. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's another Tony, guys. We got to bolt them to the floor. Um, so there, there's none that I ended up taking home. But uh, one of the, the staple favorites was Time Crisis because the way you could like step on the pedal and use the gun and then step off the pedal. And that was one of the ones that, you know, if I had extra time and I was done all my other work or it was early in the morning, there was no one around. I was definitely over there opening up the door, flicking the little lever a couple times, you know, get a couple free plays in. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So we're going to leave our audience with one last question. I'm not going to make you suffer through this anymore. Uh, it looks like you're having fun. I know I'm having fun as well. Um, the last question, I ask this to everyone. Everyone's answer is different. There's no right, well, maybe there's right answers, but there's certainly no wrong answers. Um, and it is, with your years of experience in our field, uh, what advice would you give to someone who has a curiosity to learn more about the industry we're in um, and the direction that they might be able to go in order to pursue a career in manufacturing and engineering? What wisdom have you learned along the way that would say, hey, you know, go to a tech school or, hey, go straight to work. Or, you know, what worked for me really well was, you know, I found a mentor that, you know, was able to educate me much quicker than another way. Uh, for some, and we can go as, as 
sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, you know, on up um, to to a return uh, veteran from the military who's looking for a career when he comes back. What advice would you give for someone who has curiosity, a bit of awareness, but wants to learn more and and how to get in this industry? Okay, so that it's a varied scope, like you said. If they're discovering it when they're still in school, there's not a lot on the line. Um, up here in Western Canada, we have a skills competition every year. Well, since COVID, no, but so, and the skills competition, and I'm not familiar how, I know there's global competitions to this. Uh, I just don't know what kind of local expositions are there. Up here in Western Canada, when we have the skills competitions, uh, Thomas Skinner supplies a bunch of machines and technicians to set it all up. And what it looks like is there's people on manual machines, you know, on mills and lathes, there's people on CNC machines, and they have a competition. They're given a blueprint they've never seen before. They're given a set of tools pre-selected, and then they're told to make it within a time frame. The time frame changes year to year, depending on participants and part complexity. And then the competition that I typically get to judge, which is a fantastic experience, um, is then judged against the blueprint. And you just, how close are you? How close to tolerance? But even going to an exposition like that, like up here in Canada at the Abbotsford uh, Exposition Center, they have every trade under the sun. I mean, they've got cooks, they've got chefs, they've got hairstylists, they've got auto body mechanics, they've got riggers and welders and you think of a, a trade and it's represented at this show. And so getting children out to events like this is huge because then they discover what's possible in the world. And you never know, maybe the parents or the adults that take them might get inspired for a career change on what they've seen, but it really showcases all of the different options available in manufacturing, as well as any other trade skill, vocational skill that you don't have to go to university for. And it's just a great way to get earnings sooner. So if they're, if they're grade school kids, younger kids still in high school, finding stuff like that um, to attend is the best way or contacting local manufacturers. I have local manufacturers here that have busloads of kids pre-COVID come through and check out, they do a tour of the operations and the top shops in the areas are a great resource to reach out. If you're in high school or grade school and you're like, hey, I'd like to introduce my kids, reach out to your local manufacturers and say, hey, I've got a bunch of kids. What's it look like to bring them through for a quick tour? I would love them to see what's available in manufacturing. And I mean, the top shops, the, the ones that are producers, they are so happy to introduce manufacturing to more people because they love it. They love their work environment, the culture, everything else. Why wouldn't someone want to join them, right? So that's a great way for children. And when it comes to, you know, people looking at career changers or anything else, start applying. It depends what you have on the line, right? If you're in a place in life where you have a lot of bills on your plate, and the prospect of starting at a lower uh, income bracket is daunting. Uh, you can still go out and check it out and see what's possible. You know, the trade schools offer evening hours that if you love it, you can totally put in that time. I mean, there was a time in my life where I was working, you know, nine hours a day and then going to trade school at night to upgrade skills for four to five hours every night.
the days are long, but the years are short and I'm glad I did it. Excellent, excellent advice, author. I really like the idea, which I hadn't heard. You're the first one to say it on this podcast anyway, um, to go to those events, those competitions, because you're right. Why do we go to sporting events? We like to see the best of the best. Why do we want to see those teams win? You know, we're interested in that sport or whatever it might be. Let's go, let's, let's take our kids to these uh, robotic competitions or these machining competitions or whatever it might be. Um, excellent advice, author. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, to all you listeners out there, this is The Gun Show, where we make engineers famous. No, that's not really what this tagline is, is it? No, we try to bring artificial intelligence to life. We want to show you guys who the really clever minds are, some of the great people that are pushing the buttons, doing the programming, helping create some of the most beautiful things on this planet from automobiles and aerospace to medical breakthroughs. So, Author, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you guys. This is Author Field, uh, manufacturing technology specialist in the greater Vancouver area with Thomas Skinner and Sons. So reach out to him anytime.